When you think about work culture today, what comes to mind? Is it commuting to the office? Morning cups of coffee? Checking your emails? Endless spreadsheets? Well, one of the first things that popped into my head is meetings. They may not be our favorite work activity, but they've certainly become a staple in the corporate world. And many of us find our days filled with them back to back to back to back. With so much time spent in meetings, it begs the question, are meetings helping or hurting our productivity? This is the WorkWell podcast series. Hi, I'm Jen Fisher, Chief Wellbeing Officer for Deloitte, and I'm so pleased to be here with you today to talk all things well-being. Meetings are one of the rare um, activities and work that we can actually cost. We can look at time by salaries and say, this meeting costs this much money. And so I like thinking of it as, well, what's the return on that investment, right? So you've invested, you actually just spent two or $3,000. So in a lot of organizations, you say you're spending two or $3,000. Someone says, oh, I'm not sure. Let's talk about that. But when it comes to meetings, we don't have those conversations. I'm here with Dr. Steven Rogelberg. He's a professor and director of organizational science at the University of North Carolina, Charlotte. His research focuses on team effectiveness, leadership, engagement, health and employee well-being, organizational research methods, and meetings at work. Your most recent research and, and your book, quite frankly, is focused on the science behind meetings. How, how did you pick this topic? Why, why meetings? Sure. Um, as an organizational psychologist, I'm attracted to study uh, topics that impact the employee experience of work. And my uh, specific interest are really things that are frustrating the heck out of people. And definitely meetings fit the bill. Uh, so I was really motivated to study this uh, topic and try to figure out ways to help people deal with it. So how did you even go about doing this research? Yeah, so it seems kind of non-traditional in terms <laughs> of what you would research. <laughs> um, it is, but in some regards, it should not have been, right? Okay. Because we know that people are spending a tremendous amount of time yeah. um, in meetings at work. So it's a perfect topic. But for whatever reason, um, bad meetings have just been accepted as a way of life um, at work, but in some regards in, in universities as well. Yeah. But there are, they can be studied. There are a variety of techniques from having people keep diaries, recording um, their reactions and evaluations right after a meeting at the end of the day. Typically, I've even done experiments mm -hmm. where you bring folks into a lab setting and we've manipulated lateness to meetings and looked at the effects. What has your research actually shown about the effectiveness or the lack of effectiveness of meetings, how we currently most or most often see them today in the corporate setting? I've been doing research on this crazy topic for 20 years, so it is a lot of studies. Um, I do think meetings have become larger um, mm -hmm. over time, right? Because it's getting easier and easier for us to sabotage, or I shouldn't say sabotage, <laughs> to hold hostage someone's calendars. Right. Um, but definitely, the, it's the same issues um, over and over again. So, you know, what, what I basically concluded is every meaning well, pretty much every meeting yields some positive insights, right. some nuggets. 
The problem is really the ratio of good time to bad time. Mm. I think that's the way of looking at meetings. So um, what our data suggests is that around 50% of time in meetings is wasted time. And I think that's- How do you define wasted time? um, Time that people do not feel that- um, they needed to be there, that it was relevant to them, that they found it engaging, that um, they felt that it was well run. Basically, time in the meeting that was, in a sense, not honoring their the participants' time. On the flip side, I guess, what does make a meeting effective or engaging for people? The best meetings... Um, first of all, uh, are relevant to everyone who's attending, right? So everyone in that meeting says, hey, this is a good use of time. I'm happy I'm here. This is relevant to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, the best meetings um, have a leader in charge who is making sure that the experience is moving, asking the right questions, that it doesn't go off on tangents. So the best meetings have an engaged leader. The best meetings have a culture among attendees such that there is safety and trust and people can bring their full selves to that meeting. Um, And they know that they can have conflicts, but the conflicts around ideas and not around the person. And then the best meetings are those that end with, with everyone saying, okay, here's what we decided and here's who's committed to doing each of these things. Those would be the major characteristics. And they, you add that all together, it, it just keeps coming back to the fact that you have invested X number of minutes in this activity and you leave saying, I'm glad I did. That's a good use of my time. Mm-hmm. So, so where are we failing? There's a, um, there's a few reasons. Uh, so first of all, there appears to be something called a meeting leader blind spot mm-hmm. that when I survey people after a meeting, Uh, Most people will typically have some negative responses, but one person will typically be quite positive. And it's the leader. Exactly. (laughs) Of the meeting. (laughs) Exactly. So there's a misalignment between the leader's experience and everyone else's. So this blind spot really prevents them for in making changes, right? right? If you feel you're good at something, you're not all that motivated to change. Right. Next is the fact that in organizations, only the, the data suggests that only around 20% of leaders ever receive any training on how to lead a meeting. Mm. This is crazy, right? How do you have an activity with 50, that occurs 55 million times a day in the US alone? And we have no training. And we have no training. So you've got this blind spot, right? You don't have training. And then the final piece, I do speeches to various um, organizations and maybe organizations of CEOs, chief talent officers. And I love to ask this question because I always know the answer. The question is, how many of you have on your employee engagement surveys any content around meetings? Do you want to take a guess how many people raise their hands? Zero. (laughs) That's a really good guess. So it's been a couple. um, But in general, organizations don't have that. Okay. So... This, you put these all together, right? Blind spot, no training, and now no feedback or accountability. This is a perfect storm. Yeah. Right? So these bad meetings, bad meeting practices have just become normative. And despite the fact that they're, it's clearly frustrating to, to people, there's just hasn't been an appetite to change it. 
Well, I would say, I mean, for someone in, in my role in the world I live in, I mean, we're, all of us are, you know, over overconnected, overworked in some sense, and looking for any way to be more productive in in our in our work life, certainly, but in our overall life. And if we feel like the majority of us feel like we're wasting time in meetings, this seems like a natural. Why, why wouldn't we do That's it? Right. Kind of thing. No, you're absolutely so, right. Yeah. I mean, if if people were flush with time, yeah, <laughs> they'd be like, "Hey, yeah. it's okay. Like, yeah. I'm fine with this." But people are so incredibly pressed. But it even goes beyond that because a bad meeting not only wastes time, but a bad meeting has other negative effects, right? right? You have opportunity costs. You could have been doing something else. You have that frustration. We find that bad meetings actually undermine your engagement overall with the job. And we even find something called meeting recovery syndrome. Say more about this. (laughs) (laughs) So this is the idea that when you have a bad meeting, you just don't leave it at the door. Right. It sticks with you. Uh, you ruminate and you co-ruminate. In fact, we just completed a study a few days ago, and this was a, a global study, and it was around 55% of people indicated that when they have a bad meeting, it affects their productivity on other tasks afterwards. Yeah, that would so make sense. There's a yeah. lot of damage associated yeah. with bad meetings. So are you developing a training on how to run a good meeting? Um, yes, um, it's, but my approach to training is really different because I want to make meeting leaders intentional, Mm. right? Because once someone's intentional, then good things will happen. And I want to give one quick example. I talk about this idea that the best meeting leaders recognize that they're inherently a steward of others' time, right? As soon as you recognize you're a steward of others' time, then you just don't want to dial it in. You care what other people right. think. Um, so you start making careful choices, careful choices about who needs to be there, choices of what's on the agenda. Now, interestingly, we act like a steward when it comes to meetings with customers, hmm. right? When we meet with customers, we never dial it in, right? We are intentional. We are deliberate. We know we don't want to screw it up right. because there are consequences. Mm-hmm. But all that intentionality gets thrown away when it comes to employee meetings. But it just feels like um, there's kind of a compulsion mm-hmm. that anytime there's a topic that needs to be decided or discussed, we just call a meeting. Well, first, let's say that a world without meetings is much more problematic <laughs> of than course, a world right. with meetings. So right? meetings aren't bad. It's They're just, not bad. Yeah, we um, need them. So, and a lot of meeting activity is actually well-intentioned. Mm-hmm. It would be my contention that... The goal is not to eliminate meetings, but to eliminate bad meetings and to just improve the ratio of that good time to bad time. So the fact that you want to solicit input from others, that you want to create an inclusive environment, I'm not, I don't want to stop you from doing that. I just want you to do it in a way that, in a sense, is most efficient, that truly accomplishes your goals of inclusion and engagement mm-hmm. and doesn't serve to derail them. So did you all look at... Um human behavior in terms of is there an inclination for an individual if they get invited to the meeting they feel obligated to accept versus decline or is there any does FOMO come into play here so they go to the meeting just in case something gets talked about and they don't want to miss out on it I think that happens a lot Mm -hmm. Um, and there's ways of addressing that issue so while people complain about having meetings 
they also worry if they're not invited right. to a meeting. When we are designing a meeting, we could easily identify people who are core mm -hmm. to that meeting. That's not hard for us to do. We truly know who has right. to be there. It's almost like when we plan a wedding. We know who needs to be at our wedding. Right. But then you have the secondary group, right? <laughs> and once you start touching that secondary group, you say, oh, now this person needs to go. Oh, this person needs to go. And then it gets really big. So what we need to do is think of that secondary group a little differently. They need to be told about the meeting, right? They need to be told that here's what we're going to talk about in the meeting. And if they have any input, please provide it. They need to be told that they are going to get meeting minutes right after that meeting. And they need to be told that if any point in the future they want to attend these meetings, they're more than welcome. If you do those three things. You're giving them permission to opt out. They will opt out. Yeah. And not only will they opt out, but they will thank you. Yeah. Really, right? Because what's the gift that we all want? Time. Time. Yeah. So they will thank you. Yeah. And you've got an organization that is more effective. The meetings are more effective because they're leaner. Everyone there is more engaged because it's relevant. Multitasking will decrease all kinds of good outcomes. Yeah. So does this, do the same principles apply when you're talking about conference calls and virtual meetings yeah absolutely is there um, any is there any different dynamics because i feel like yeah. especially on conference calls and virtual right. virtual meetings you see a lot more multitasking you know you ask somebody a question and they're yes. like oh wait hold, i i you cut out there yeah exactly <laughs> which yeah. i'm guilty of doing all the time i must admit uh, me too yeah. me too um basically the Remote virtual meetings are ripe for just so much dysfunction. Yeah. Um, I'll share, uh, I think you'll get a kick out of this. <laughs> if you ask people what's the most dysfunctional meeting type, they will say the remote meeting. Yeah. If you ask them what meeting type do you most prefer to go to, they will say... The one with food. <laughs> well, that's a good guess, but they'll say the remote meeting. Yeah. Right? Because they can get work done. <laughs> That's right. Because right? they can do other things. That is so messed up. It right? Exists, right? That just tells you everything you need to know right. that this is a big problem. Um, so I have a chapter in my book that focuses on the remote meeting mm -hmm. because the leader needs to do some additional types of skills. I'll, I'll give you just a couple examples. Yeah. Um, so first of all, when you're leading a remote meeting, um, you have to fully embrace your role as an air traffic controller, right? You, it is on you to make sure that accountability and identifiability happens. So you are constantly calling people out. When there's roll call in a meeting, not everyone, they don't, people don't say their names, you say the names and you make sure they're there, right? You are pri providing order to the chaos. You are keeping track of who's talking and who's not talking. And if you haven't heard from Gordon, you say, hey, Gordon, I haven't heard from you. So you are present fully focused on the facilitation of this experience. And you want to default to video whenever possible, again, mm -hmm. to create that accountability and identifiability. And then, and here's the crazy controversial thing, um, you want to consider banning the mute button. Mm. Now, I don't mean <laughs> always you should ban it, but think about this. When you attend the meeting, attend a meeting face-to-face, -face, you're not able to eat lunch, walk your dog, go to the bathroom, right? You're expected to be present and there. You find a quiet but place. But there's certainly those awkward times when we wish somebody had <laughs> muted and they didn't. <laughs> Very true. Very true. So there are some exceptions. But in general, think about kind of the symbolism, yeah. right? If you say right. no mute buttons, all those people remote are saying, okay, I need to find a quiet place where I can be fully present 
And that's key. Or I shouldn't be attending. Or I shouldn't be there. So those are some examples um, that can help make these meetings more effective. What's your point of view on walking meetings, either in person or virtually? One of the things that I try to do is is walking meetings because it gets me away from being in front of my laptop and the urge to multitask while I'm on a conference call. Love it. It goes back to that comment I made earlier about intentionality. Mm -hmm. And there are a variety of different tools and techniques leaders can do, right? So that's the first thing, recognizing that you have choices as a leader. And one of the choices is taking a walking meeting. Um, Walking meetings have some good data around them. People Mm -hmm. seem to like them more, and there's actually appears to be enhanced creativity in walking Mm -hmm. meetings. Plus, they get you moving, right. um, and that's a good thing. It's harder to multitask, right? Right, because you're going to hit a tree, <laughs> right? If you keep multitasking, um, so but walking meetings have some um, conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, they need to be small, right? Right, so two or three people mm-hmm. at the most. Uh, you need to let everyone know in advance, right. that there's a walking meeting so they can wear the right shoes. You need to make sure that the agenda fits a walking meeting. You can't be showing a deck, um, right? Otherwise, that's going to be problems. Mm-hmm. But I love the idea of a supervisor when you know she or he is meeting with, you know, kind of doing a check-in meeting with the reports. They say, hey, let's go take a walk. Right. I like it. Yeah. In your research, did you uncover a um, what the perfect amount of time is for a meeting? It does not exist. There's okay. not a perfect amount of time. Um, what I we need for people to do is think about how much time is needed given a set of goals. And this starts with just not defaulting to one hour. There's nothing sacred about a one-hour meeting. Mm -hmm. We have one-hour meetings because that's the default standard on Outlook, whatever. That is not a good reason to have a (laughs) one-hour meeting, especially given Parkinson's law, which is the idea that work expands to fill whatever time is allotted to it. So- we can use this to our advantage. I have a chapter in my book where I say, meet for 48 minutes. Mm-hmm. I don't mean literally have every meeting 48 minutes, but I'm trying to be provocative and say, think carefully about it. And if it is a 48 meeting, 48 minute meeting, that's fine. Right. And if the meeting starts at 12 minutes after the hour, that's fine. Just make a choice that fits what the goals are. Furthermore, once you decide on how much time the meeting should be, I want you to consider dialing it back a bit. Create a little extra pressure. Hmm. A little extra pressure enhances focus, and the research suggests that it leads to better outcomes. And how do you feel about um, the icebreaker activities where people get to know each other, get some, get to know, you know, something about you, um, as you know, as opposed to just kind of giving your name, rank, and file? Yeah. Um, are those time wasters, or are they valuable? Or do they actually really connect people to one another? They can work, but often leaders and facilitators lose control over them, Mm. Um, where next thing you know, you're spending 30 minutes to an hour Mm -hmm. on these, and that really upsets people. Um, And so I think there's a host of really powerful things you can do for people that take five to five minutes, Mm -hmm. maybe 10 at the most. I will also say that when when we create a more diverse meeting experience, then there's actually going to be more getting to know mm. each other naturally. For example, one of a, the best ways of uh, getting people engaged around a problem is actually have them get into pairs first. 
and work as a pair and then come back as a broader group. So when you get people in pairs, right, no one can multitask. Everyone has to be present because you're just in a pair. So you're fully engaging. And then when you go back to the group, in some regards, you've primed the discussion. People are ready. They have thoughts. And they've generated those thoughts without hearing everyone else's thoughts. So they're more pure and potentially more disruptive. Then you start having the conversation. What almost invariably happens is they'll say, someone will say, oh, you know, my partner, Sasha, she actually has some really good ideas right? But maybe Sasha was introverted and wasn't going to share them. Mm -hmm. But this person starts becoming an advocate for those ideas. Mm -hmm. So my point being that by getting people in dyads, you and I are actually getting to know each other. That's true. Yeah. Right? But we're doing it through productive activity. Without having to make it an artificial. Exactly. Yeah. You know, tell you. me what your superpower is. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Got it. I like that a lot. So um, as a meeting leader, um, you know, you so you plan you're intentional you have a meaningful agenda that you have thought through what happens or what do you do when that completely goes out the window um well you don't necessarily have to fight it um depends on where it's gone yeah uh but if you've created your meeting by soliciting soliciting input from others that's probably less likely mm. to happen right right um so if I've asked people what we should cover in the meeting, I learned what's on their minds. Mm -hmm. And it might be the case that I will cover what they said. If there's things that I won't cover, I can still address them in a different form. So I would say if you find your meetings constantly running off course, it means you're not building your meetings effectively. Furthermore, if you have someone who kind of takes meetings always on a tangent, it means that you're not doing your job as a facilitator or you're not thinking about these alternative ways of doing things that would elevate more voices so that that tangent person yeah. wouldn't have as much power yeah. and influence. And one of the kind of more recent things that I've seen happen in meetings is this notion of a parking lot. So if something comes up sure. that's not on topic, but is still you want to acknowledge somebody's idea and it's still a good idea, it's just not relevant to today's discussion, right. is that an appropriate yeah, way to kind of handle it. I think it's some, great. Okay. Um, I call it something different because I, I find now if you say we're going to put that in the parking lot, everyone's cynicism is like, oh, really? Yeah, we're never going to yeah. Okay, so, what, so what's the new terminology? I don't know what the new, but what I do is I am creating the agenda for next meeting at the time of the current meeting. So if an mm -hmm. issue comes up, I'm literally recording it and saying, okay, we'll get that next meeting. And, mm. and I, I have this running List. list of notes so it allows me to make sure that person recognizes that they were heard but that's going to be next time that kind of leads me to a, another maybe aligned area um there's a lot out, out there about um brainstorming and kind of group brainstorming and whether it works or, or doesn't work do you have any have you looked at any of that research or have you done? I do. Okay. I do. Can you say more about that? <laughs> sure. Um, uh, so we know that brainstorming and ideation is an extremely common mm -hmm. uh, meeting activity. Mm -hmm. And the way we currently do it is quite problematic. Yeah. Right? If you have, let's say, gather 10 people together around a table and say, let's brainstorm. There's only so much airtime, right? One person speaking at, at, at a time. Um, furthermore, once one idea is said, then people's kind of experience of the brainstorm starts to change, right? That first idea starts to create a new reality. 
So brainstorming that manner can be very tricky, but there are alternatives. There was research that was done that compares brainstorming where people either write down their ideas or put them into an app versus brainstorming where people are talking. And those that are in silence, uh, silent brainstorming results in nearly twice as many ideas, and those ideas are more innovative and creative and, again, more disruptive because that allowed full engagement. It allowed full, unfiltered engagement. So um, we want brainstorming, but these are some nice ways of doing it. Then there's other really simple things, right? If we want to brainstorm, well, we can use pre-meeting time. Right? We can ask people to kind of contribute their ideas before the meeting starts and then put them on the, the board, you know, the board or whatever you want to use and say, here are some ideas that we have. What do you want to pursue? And then we can use another app. This is so easy, by the way, where literally you put the QR code, people scan it on their phones, all the ideas that you're seeing on the screen show up on the app and you vote on five that you want to discuss. Everyone's engaged um, and it's being done in a way that prevents the forces of groupthink from emerging. I'm so grateful Stephen could be with us today to discuss meetings at work. Thank you to our producers and to you, our listeners. You can find the WorkWell podcast series on Deloitte.com, or you can visit various podcatchers using the keyword WorkWell, all one word, to hear more. And if you like the show, don't forget to subscribe so you get all of our future episodes. If you have a topic you would like to hear on the WorkWell podcast series, or maybe a story you'd like to share, reach out to me on LinkedIn. My profile is under the name Jennifer Fisher or on Twitter at JenFish23. We're always open to recommendations and feedback. And of course, if you like what you hear, please share, post, and like this podcast. Thank you and be well. 